Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hello, everybody. It is Pollock and Thurston here with you on Wednesday, May the 10th. We have a very special guest joining us. You know, you've got John Pollock here of Toronto and Brandon Thurston of Buffalo. And our literal Venn diagram is here in Richard Deitch from The Athletic and the host of the Sports Media Podcast. Richard, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making some time to chat with us today. Well, first of all, uh, I, I certainly appreciate the work you guys do. The, uh, I mean, the graphic elements you guys have put my, I mean, very, very uh, small now in my mind podcast to shame. I mean, this is this is a good look for you guys. I I, I respect it. Things look very professional, and uh, that's correct. This is we are uh, we are a Venn diagram of uh, Maple Leafs doom, basically. Yes, we're counting down to the elimination of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who should be out of the playoffs in uh, in just a couple of hours from now, as they are down three nothing to the uh, Florida uh, Panthers. Um, Richard, you're, you're getting the full Toronto Maple Leafs experience now. Okay. Yeah. Now that they, they give you the slight hope and then the bottom falls out. This is, this is true Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, DNA that you are. Yeah, experiencing. No, it's, it's been, um, I, I moved from, um, New York to Toronto in 2018 and it's been an education. Um, and you lived in yeah, Buffalo, when, right? In the sports. And I was, I, yeah, I went to school in Buffalo. So I have, uh, um, did you go to UB? I did go to UB. Me Fond- too. Fun. Oh, awesome. Uh, fondness of that city. Uh, yeah, John, when things, um, when things go uh, poorly for the sports teams, that's when I, um, I look at my health card and remember, oh, universal healthcare is pretty good. So you got that going for us. That's it. So the, uh, the, the elusive Stanley Cup continues for the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, but yep. we will not, uh, we will not be boring everyone to death with, <laughs> uh, with NHL chat unless it, uh, comes up here. But, um, uh, you are someone, Richard, that I've been listening to for years. So, uh, someone that has also, uh, made it very much a part of his beat is following, uh, professional wrestling in, in various incarnations, having a lot of interesting guests talking about it from the, the broadcast and media rights side. And this is something that over the years, Richard, we have seen more and more WWE and AEW enter into that sports space. And where, from your perspective, has that changed? Where WWE, for a long time, was sort of like the sideshow circus, and now it's being discussed in these million-dollar television deals. And I think the perception has grown significantly over this last decade. Yeah, it's very exciting for me because now I can make wrestling references that relate to politics and people get it now. So it's like it's a it's a it's a, it's a beautiful world now that people understand uh, these obscure references once upon a time. Well, I mean, the way that the WWE looks at things and the way AW looks at things is they look at themselves as competing with everyone else for uh, for eyeballs and for viewership. And that's the way to look at it. You know, look at yourself as a content property against the NBA on a certain night, against scripted television on a certain night. And where once upon a time, I think both of you guys are right, that, um, you know, wrestling sort of as a conceit was considered, um, I don't say back room, but, you know, it was almost like you, you were sort of a, the, the connotation for being a wrestling fan was like a pejorative or a negative for a long, long time. That may have changed in the 80s with, um, uh, the rock and jock sort of combination and Hogan becoming big. I mean, Hulk Hogan was on the cover of my old 
employer, Sports Illustrated. It was a pretty significant moment in the 80s. Um, but today, I think you're, and especially for what you guys do, you're just doing yourself a disservice not to look at the programming that um, the WWE puts out and the programming that AEW puts out um, in any kind of different light than you would evaluating the NFL or the NBA or NASCAR or pickleball or whatever. It's a, it's a, it's a very valuable piece of content that very, very um, big and powerful media companies are interested in. So as a sort of a business kind of play, I don't, you, you have to think of it in serious terms or else you're just sort of being ignorant. How would you not look at a, a business that was just right valued, whether you believe in the valuation or not at 9 billion plus dollars as anything but a monster business. Yeah. Do you think there was a moment like some people talk about maybe like Randy Savage's death in 2011 when sports media and other media outlets that are mainstream outlets started to become more receptive to, to covering wrestling stories? It's a great question, Brandon. Um, you know, I think you guys have seen this too. The WWE in particular, and I think WCW did this as well. Eric Bischoff used to talk about it a lot. They have always tried to um, attract mainstream media to cover them because I think they've always understood, and correctly so, that if you can get that crossover audience, that's how you can add to your core of wrestling fans who are always going to be there. That's why Dave um, Arquette was a champion. Exactly. I, now, personally, I thought that was you know a very poor storyline choice. <laughs> But I understood, you can understand the thesis behind it. In modern day, it's the exact same thing why Logan Paul, Bad Bunny, name any crossover star exists today. And I think it's working is that, you know, you're, you're able to get a potential audience where sampling your product that never would. In terms of like the, you know, when the sports media, you know, capital S, capital M, which really doesn't exist, you know, it's all lowercase m for all of us, um, started looking at wrestling in more of a mainstream light. I don't know if there's a singular moment. And quite frankly, that still today, it's not like the New York Times or the Washington Post has a wrestling reporter. You know, the Athletic has only done, I shouldn't say that, I should be careful, it's my employer. The Athletic has done wrestling content, I think more than anything else, because there's a group of people at the Athletic who enjoy the content and want to write about it. Now, they still could write about it because I think there's an audience for it. But the reality is, there are, and I don't include me in this, even though I've written wrestling content for them. There are some editors there who just, who are clearly avid watchers of it. And they've pushed to cover this in a more, at least when it comes to feature, sort of journalistic way. So I think, one, you need people within organizations to sort of recognize and acknowledge that there's an audience for this and, and people will read it or listen to it. But, I, you know, I don't want to sort of go over the top on like sort of mainstream acceptance because it's not like I can, you know, pick up the Toronto star and read like wrestling today. I, if I go on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, whatever your major cable news outlet is, no one is talking about wrestling, right? They're not covering wrestling. CNBC might, but it's always in the context of here's a deal that just happened or, Hey, we have Nick Khan or Vince McMahon and we have an interview. So I would say that crossover Brandon like exists, but I wouldn't say like it's a permanent crossover, nor would I say there was a singular moment when that acceptance came. But I think if you're a, if you want to use it as a, like the, in these frame, a news organization, 
I think you have to at least have an open mind to write about the, I'm just using it as a pure, like a writing vehicle to write about this stuff because there is a significant audience interested. Like the, the fact based stuff is if 2 million people are watching SmackDown, that is a real 2 million number. Like that exists. That's potentially, um, valuable customers to read content or listen to content or watch content as you guys know. Um, so again, I get back to the, what I started with, like the reality is like the business side of it, I would say demands at least at times for it to be covered in the same way baseball or football. are covered. Yeah. My sense has always been like sports doesn't always want to cover it because it's, well, it's not a legit sport. The, the matches are predetermined right. yeah, and, and entertainment doesn't necessarily want to cover it because it's, it's kind of a fake sport and they don't yeah. really know whether it belongs in, in their section either. I, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the reality is it's not a sport. It's incredibly athletic. And if you discount the athleticism of the performers, you're just a fool, in my opinion. I mean, anyone who's gone to a show, you can see the crazy athleticism. They have former athletes, Bianca Belair or um, Roman Reigns, who competed at the highest levels of division. I mean, Brock Lesnar is like literally the highest of highest levels, you know, the, the best wrestler for his weight class when he was in college. But it's, as you said, it's predetermined. So it's, it's, you can't place it under a sport at the same time. It's not family ties and it's not succession. So it's not a script, you know, it's not, it's not drama in terms of the way a scripted drama is written because you have the athleticism. So it's this kind of weird hybrid of these two worlds, but in the business world, and I can guarantee you NBC slash Peacock, Comcast and Fox, they, they think if they don't see it in terms of is this a sport or is not a sport, they see it as like this is content that is really valuable to us as a business. And that's the way I think you have to look at it. It almost like to me, like the is it a sport, is it not a sport was like a debate like that ended in 1983. Like the, the answer is it doesn't matter. Like what it what matters is like it's a content play. And I think what you bring up is very true in the sense of WWE that has always coveted that that larger spotlight in the sports and media ecosystem. But it's a, I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword in the sense that they're not necessarily accepted fully in that light. But as we've seen over the past year, I would say that Vince McMahon got off relatively scot-free in the media coverage that he received versus if he was, I mean, you look at someone like Jeff Shell recently. I mean, Vince McMahon is not held to that level of standard. And as soon as he came back to the company, like it became a business story and then an acquisition story and sort of the sexual misconduct allegations seem to be like he has navigated those waters and come out extremely powerful and back into his old position. 1000%. If Vince McMahon is an NFL owner, you're talking about waves and waves of media coverage and stories. You would have had far more coverage on the settlement that he made. You would have had far more coverage on every, um, you know, dark side of wrestling kind of moment that the WWE has had. And that is where things are different. In many ways, Vince has been covered like uh, they used to cover the old entertainment chiefs, which was very, very kid gloves. Um, Me Too changed a lot of that, where like mainstream places are now covering that much harder. But your point is absolutely accurate. I give the Wall Street Journal a lot of credit. They yeah. did a great job. No doubt they got stuff leaked to them. And you can sort of, if you want to play the parlor game of why and who leaked that stuff agenda-wise, you can. I don't know. Obviously, I don't work for the Wall Street Journal. Um, but you're right, John. I think that's a great point. I mean, the 
that's where the circus element of wrestling benefits Vince McMahon in that he's not going to be covered the same way where if the transgression was done by either a pro sports owner, or I would even say today, like by a, um, you know, someone who's a CEO of a, of a public company, like, you know, you, you'd be, you'd be in more serious trouble. Part of it probably was the fact that they were a private enterprise for a long time. Right. So like the public companies is all, there'll always be, I think scrutinized a little bit more um, in terms of coverage, but and then the last thing I would say, and again, none of this is an excuse for the behavior, which is abhorrent. It's just the news cycle in 2023, like everything, we live in such an expedite, expedited speed news cycle that like a story yesterday barely holds up, let alone a story six months ago. Some of that is the fact that the media industry continues to consolidate, continues, layoffs continue to happen. And there's just not many journalists like just to start with who even like are working um, at places that may or may not cover. I'll give you like a, if you want a Vince example, like the Hartford current, like in theory is would could, could in theory cover or have covered the WWE as its own beat, right? It's Connecticut's biggest paper. They could have assigned a reporter to do that. That's paper that's been gutted left and right over the last 10, 15 years. So if you're a Hartford current top editor and you have these decisions to make, like you're going to probably put your resources towards like whatever's going on in the city in terms of like uh city government, right. Or crime or something like that. You're not going to assign someone to be the Vince McMahon reporter. And so, you know, some of that is a result of that, but uh, you make a, you make a great point. The the only interesting thing in, in I shouldn't say the only interesting thing, it's the wrong way to phrase it. What would be, what is interesting to me is were there any potential suitors for the WWE who decided not to go all in because of Vince and what had and what had transpired with him. You know, that was always the thought, like, did Comcast sort of not want to go all the way? But at the same time, Comcast is in massive business with these guys, right? So it's not like they're like, oh, we're done with Vince. Um, you know, I hate to say it, and it's sort of a cynical take. I just think people who can make other people money, a lot of times they just look the other way. Yeah, and I mean, like, is there anything that you think that could could change the degree to which the media and and to that to, to the, an extension of that the audience who reads the media take wrestling more seriously because you can go through the, sort of the history of wrestling in the last few decades sort of just just look at what the the episode subjects are for dark side of the ring of all these stories of you know transgressions that the wrestling business you know what wasn't really held to a close enough microscope about and like how does that change is it just bigger media outlets hiring more people to, to cover wrestling or, or what? I think it has changed. I think you guys should take, you guys should feel good about your part in the change. Like when I was 25 years old, did WrestleNomics exist? No, of course not. Like what existed for me was like um, either like fan magazines or um, the occasional feature in some newspaper that usually was related to a show that might be coming on that day. Now you guys have created a business where you literally talk about the business of wrestling. So I would say um, things have absolutely changed. Um, it's not going to get to the point where like wrestling is covered like the Biden or Trump White House. It's just that's just not realistic. But I think the democratization of the web has made places like yours like available to the masses. And so I would say like the the wrestling is take in my opinion in my lifetime it's really taken far more seriously now 
look at all the podcasts that exist. Um, even if like some of them are entertainment based, so many of them really just go through card after card and like and analyze not just the match itself, but almost more on all these podcasts. Probably, you know, they're they're analyzing like what does it mean for the business? What does it mean storyline in relation to the business? I mean, I I think he's very entertaining. I have no idea how you guys feel about him. I mean, certainly he's got his peccadillas and stuff, but Jim Cornette is a perfect example of a guy who has had this massive second career, essentially out of observing wrestling through his prism, you know, a prism of somebody who's been in the business and letting you know how it, how he sees it, not just in terms of storyline, but in terms of larger stuff. Now you may think he's funny or he's full of shit, but my point is that he has created a business as you guys have that is far away from just like the fanzine kind of stuff. And then, you know, in terms of like the audio space, Conrad Thompson created an entire network of nostalgia based podcasting, essentially. And that didn't exist like 20 years ago, you know, in terms of nostalgia, maybe somebody would do some kind of, maybe the WWE would put out some kind of like Bret Hart's greatest moments kind of thing. And that was like nostalgia. So, um, I think things are in a much better place. Um, the, the, the interesting question for me, Brandon, would be like, is there a next evolution or not? And I don't know the answer to that. You know, I, I love watching like the, um, WWE press conferences or the AEW press conferences afterwards. You guys may have even attended some of them or many of them. They're like, um, they're really interesting to me because they're very different from traditional sports. Sometimes you'll get a question that would absolutely correlate to what you would hear in a press conference after like game five of the NBA finals. And then other Sometimes times you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And then other t- and most of the time and other times it's like very much like, wow, you know, what a great performance by you, MJF. Tell us about it. So. And it's like, are, are we a prop to, to them doing a promo? Are we there so this to is ask, where everything ask real is, K-State. is that like, are you walking in there being part of the show? Or are you really answering the question? I will say this. And by the way, I appreciate actually WWE and AEW been doing this because I don't think they have to. And God bless Tony Khan with the CM Punk thing. I mean, the guy created uh, a year worth of content. Just I was there the for that. Front yeah, oh, there yeah. you go. That all in press conference alone. The crazy thing is, I actually like to observe. I don't know if I could write about it. Maybe. I mean, I could write about it. I have to see if the athletic would actually do it. But it's such a crazy thing in that you can ask a question that is a straight legitimate question like with like a business emphasis right and the person answering your question could go into character and absolutely not answer that question or they could step out of character and answer the question as them you know it's a little different with triple h who's the ceo but if i ask like seth rollins or rhea ripley a question about the business they'd have to make a calculation do you answer me straight or do you answer me as Seth Rollins, you know, or do you answer me as mommy in Rhea Ripley's case? That's where the whole thing is very different than my traditional world. And I don't know if that's going to change because I don't think there would be any incentive for either the WWE or AEW to play this thing straight. It's much more, in my opinion, downside risk to have Brandon Thurston asking 10 questions than it is to have you asking one question (laughs) and the other seven questions allow my characters to sort of perform as my characters. And plenty of people do ask questions along those lines that are sort of kayfabe questions. Well, again, there, and I don't want to, I'm not knocking them because they're 
they're not in your world. They're in a world of writing for other fans like them. And as long as you're not saying, hey, I'm covering this like the New York Times, then at least, in my opinion, you're at least being honest. You're not, you're not saying that you're going into this space trying to be the next, uh, Bob Woodward. If where you have to be careful is if you don't want to be a prop for them, that's where you got to sort of pick and choose your questions. Now, the converse on all this, of course, is you ask too many tough questions. They can decide not to credential you, right? They ultimately control the access. By the way, same thing as the NFL. Daniel Snyder can make a decision not to credential the Washington Post if he doesn't want to on any day. I and, mean, you know, he's going to sell the team, but you guys get what I'm saying. Now. now, that's where the league would probably step in and be like, you cannot kick the Washington Post out like they're – but WWE doesn't league. have a commissioner, doesn't have a rules. It, the WWE is – they make the rules. So that's where, again, this whole – the whole idea of covering wrestling is a little – it's interesting, but it's also tricky. Again, it in order to really cover it the way you would cover another bead, I think you would – in my opinion – you have to have either independent places like yours do it, as you do, or you'd have to have a big legacy media brand that says, we're going to cover this with um, without playing the access game. And we're going to cover this almost uh, one step away from the access game, meaning that you don't take the free seats at WrestleMania 7. You don't, you know except when the WWE sends the big Nick Khan sweatshirt or whatever. Like, you got to sort of be independent. I thought at one time ESPN was going to go down that road, and they didn't. They no. they were more partners than than objective observers. Um, if you're I think that's a deeper legacy, discussion, Richard. Do I see a legacy publication doing that anytime soon? My straight answer is no, I do not. No, I, I think that for many it is looking at, like, where – what, where is the value of this coverage? And it is, is it opposing and covering WWE like a typical beat or is it working yeah. in partnership with and getting your Becky Lynch's in studios and having uh, access that we have seen ESPN have? I mean, it's, it, it's a larger uh, conflict to me of just media as a whole when it comes to covering like these industries, the UFC as, as well. Yeah. Um, they're, and they're, they're, I mean, they're, I think more media unfriendly than the WWE, which I actually consider in some ways very media friendly, um, you know, because they'll make people available. But yeah, I mean, like you can't, how do I sort of say this? You're it, it, like, it, let's be honest. It's, it's, it's not that strong of a business plan to cover this industry in the way that I think the three of us all kind of seek that type of coverage. Yeah. I mean, of. what I was, what I was going to get to is like, at a, at a, at the end of the day, everything is cost benefit. And if you're ESPN, like, and the decision is, do I add another person to the Adam Schefter, Chris Mortensen, like NFL reporting beat, or do I do I try to start this? Let's cover the WWE and AEW as a as a business. I mean, it's honest. It's not even. It's that's not a decision. Like, there's only one decision there, and that would be the NFL. It, like, you wouldn't even think twice. So again, though, like I. I would look at it, you know, whether it's like old school people like Meltzer or whoever else or you guys, like that means that independents can do what you're doing and find an audience. Mm -hmm. Like if you can look at it the reverse way, let's say like every, let's say there were 50 media places that covered the WWE the same way like, uh, you know, Apple or Google gets covered. It'd be a lot harder for you guys to stand out in the space 
because you'd have these big, powerful entities with gigantic distribution engines to push that out. So that's, you know, that would be the upside if I was in it. That's how I'd look at it, but I was an independent. But I think the only time it crosses over is like what happened with Vince McMahon is when it becomes part of the public sphere and you have, um, you know, you, you're leaked where somebody is, you know, paying off funds of something using company money. Like that's the only time or there's some kind of criminality uh, which happens. That's where I think this stuff's going to cross. But I, I don't expect anytime soon, like to read in my local paper or online, like a, you know, someone is assigned the WWE uh, next to a story on the Yankees, next to a story on the Knicks, next to a story on the Rangers. Yeah, and I think the one good thing that's emerged in the last few years and, and, and John and I, we have separate Patreon businesses that, you know, if we're just talking about attracting a lot of eyeballs and impressions to, to generate ad revenue, that that's especially my experience for, for my website is very limited, but it, but if I can get, you know, a few hundred people to pay me $5 a month, that, that, that piles up and, and, uh, John and way with post wrestling have done a great job of that. And that's, and it, and it totally, I think centers your coverage in the sense that I'm not writing stories for just to grab the most amount of eyeballs, you're trying to build a relationship that your listeners will support you. Yeah, exactly. And I think you can, I think it's more of the long game that you're playing with people to try and, you know, subscribe to a monthly thing, but you're essentially building that relationship as opposed to gearing your content towards the most amount of eyeballs. Like I can see why certain sites go that direction. Like that is, but it is going to give you a certain style of, of writing and headlines as opposed to, a subscription base that I feel a lot more comfortable in, in that way. And it gets, again, this, these are individual questions. So you guys, you have to just decide like, what is, what suits you best and what are you comfortable with? But the reality is like, if someone does a really funny interview with Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar, that's going viral and you'll get crazy amount of views for your site, great engagement for your site, great publicity for your site. That to me is going to be a very, very different audience than if Brandon is doing the quarter hour breakdowns of AEW, like it's just it's a different content play and i think you have to just sort of acknowledge like who you are and what you are and what you're comfortable with when it comes to me in the wwe i i I mean i have to be honest like i feel like i'm a hybrid like i i've been very fortunate where uh someone like paul Heyman has come on my podcast many times he's pretty honest with me about like he doesn't go into kayfabe Heyman. He, he sort of deals with me um straight michael cole has sort of been the same way but, you know, I'm not – at the same time, I'm not asking them 10 questions about Vince's deposition. Like I got to pick my spot when I'm going to something journalistic or something else that's more entertainment-based. You know, I'm not – I generally almost never ask about storylines, so I'm not going that far out. But, um, but you know, the real, the commercial realities, like when you are covering wrestling is – I think they do exist. Like if you – have a, if you have someone you're interviewing, you got to figure out like what is my what is my aim for this particular interview or segment, and like what am I what am I trying to accomplish with it, and like what are the the larger sensibilities of my enterprise or my site or my audio. Um, so that's where for you, you know, for the two of you, like I, I do think. I do think there is value in covering covering wrestling as you two guys do because I I still as someone who consumes this and I can't say it like I'm in it every day I still I think you are still more outliers 
than not. And I think that's a really good place to be. Like it means that you have a lane that I think you guys can still um, excel in where, um, you know, in some ways, like if you're on the WWE, I I need five minutes with Bianca. I'm getting five minutes with, um, you know, Dominic Mysterio. You're not really getting anything particular. You're not really giving your audience anything particularly different than 20 other sites might have. Um, so if that is your business play, then to me, you got to get volume. Then it's about like, I got to get as much of this content as I can. I pop it all up um, and do it. But it really is a fascinating, it's a fascinating industry because there's so many people who are part of it, even tangentially, that it should offer a lot of avenues for people to get information. I mean, just look at the rosters, you know, like, you're not, you know, maybe Roman Reigns is going to be your source, but there's 120, how many wrestlers are on the the rosters, right, between NXT and WWE? Like, there are people, like, who are there, who have insight, and even if they are sources that are anonymous sources, like, they're, it's, it's, the numbers of people who are connected to the business, that's where there's similarities to sports. Like, there are a lot of them. It's not just a three-person enterprise or anything like that. As someone that has spoken to some very high-level people, I'm kind of curious your observations of the wrestling aggregation game when you have a big wrestling interview and the volume of pickup that a, a quote, an interview might receive in professional wrestling as opposed to other other sports. I mean, is this uh, an anomaly compared to, to others? Because it seems that, you know, you drop an interview and it's like there are dozens of sites that are just gearing up for a big interview drop like that and how many stories can be uh, taken from it yeah there's nothing else like it that this the wrestling <laughs> aggregation business is a unique uh andrew thompson is listening yeah it's a unique Giannis uh animal in, in terms of like it's a one of one it's a unicorn um you know there when i when i did a couple early interviews with wrestling people like I, literally like i was stunned like it was like an hour and a half after it posted at like 3 a.m. Eastern time, like it had started to get aggregated. So I was like, what, like, what the hell? Like people in the UK are up. Yep. Yeah, we'll do it. Like, I didn't use hell. Trust me when I said that, I was like, what is going on? Because like, I, I couldn't even get it to like my places to sort of write about it. You know, I'd have it on a podcast, but I want, I would want to have done something for sports illustrator now for the athletic. Uh, now I've just come to realize like that is just the reality of the game. Um, they're not bad in terms of attribution. I have to be honest. Most of the places that I've seen, at least, I'm only using me as an example when I've done stuff. They usually, um, they usually give me attribution, uh, somewhere in the piece. I, I don't think I'm getting any kind of referrals from it. I think once people are reading the summary, it's over. Like they're not coming back to the original sourcing. Um, there's honestly just nothing you can do about it. Like the aggregation is just unfortunately part of the world. Um, I'd be a hypocrite because I've worked at two places, Sports Illustrated and The Athletic, which do aggregate. Now, they certainly don't aggregate the way some really bad aggregators do, but they do aggregate in some form. So I'd be I'd be a total hypocrite to be like, oh, I'm anti-aggregation. Where it gets frustrating as a content producer, and I'm sure you two have both felt this way, is when the aggregator just goes like way too far, in my opinion, in terms of fair use. And that's when it's just like it's infuriating. Um, if somebody's taking like 40% of the piece, you know, or 35% of the piece. So then you have to make a decision. Like, do I, do I, do I talk to my employer and like, try to like go through official means to try to get like 
the aggregator to take less down. But by then it does, you know what I mean? Like it's already out. It's out for hours. Like what? So like the next day, if somebody like, like reduces that from 40% to like 20% aggregation, like it's not going to do anything for me at that point. Um, the system is gamed. I don't know how to fix the system. It is frustrating though. It's frustrating when you're working at a place that actually pays the money, whether it's for labor or for travel to get the information. And it's quickly um, aggregated. But wrestling's incredible. I mean, whether it was Heyman, Michael Cole, um, Seth Rollins. I'm trying to think who else. I had Tony Khan on once not too long ago. And like, I mean, literally, we were talking like hours after it posted in the middle of the night Eastern time. It, it, the, the best parts of the interview had already popped. Um, I think all the people in wrestling also know this. Like if I remember correctly in talking to Tony Khan, I think he actually, we sort of joked after the interview, he said, oh, this, let me tell you, this part when I said this is going to get aggregated, he was totally right. Like he knew whether he was being performative or not with me, and I don't think he was, he was keenly aware of what was going to get popped. Um, and I think what got popped on that was something he had a, he went to a party with like Warner Brothers Discovery uh, people, and it was like, he had a great conversation with them. And, you know, the aggregation was like, oh, like, you know, maybe WBD is going to pick up AEW long term. Like, everybody's getting along kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, it's nothing's like that. I mean, sports stuff gets aggregated. Nothing like the speed of wrestling stuff. Not even close. What has your uh, dealings been like? You, you, you know, uh, mentioned like it's been fairly positive with, with WWE. Is that process any different than going to other outlets, uh, for, for instance, like how do you find WWE handles its uh, media relations? Yeah. So now you got to keep in mind, like, you know, again, like I'm sort of a specialized beat writing about media. So it's, I'm not going to have the same kind of relationship that the beat writer of the Atlanta Falcons has with the Atlanta Falcons PR people, which at times there is going to be really heated. Uh, other times. Okay. You know, so maybe sometimes great. Um, so if I, if for that, for me, generally speaking, is going to be war with ESPN or Fox or CBS if they're ticked off at something I've written. That's where it's more for me on the, um, you know, the traditional like sort of sports writer, sports PR staff uh, relationship. My relationship with the WWE and AEW could not be better. They, they are clearly trying or they have clearly tried to um, covet the places I've worked for. When I worked at Sports Illustrated, um, you know, it had been at that point passed by ESPN, but it was still, you know, a massive, massive place with three and a half million subscribers and 20 million people reading it a week. So if I'm calling the WWE, they're at, they are catering to me. I mean, it, it's, it was a noticeable difference in how their PR people would deal with me, I felt, than, um, how sports PR people traditionally deal with sports writers or, or sports television people. Um, you, you give them credibility by being a, a big correct. I, they, in many ways, I, I, I mean, I'm just going to be honest with your audience. I have the leverage there because I'm bringing a massive, credible institution, and I have an audience that they covet that they can't necessarily get to every week from their audience. And I think they look at it incorrectly. So if I never and talk, and they know the aggregators are listening, and they're going to amplify whatever happens. Well, I was going to say this. Yeah, well, true, but like. If I don't talk to, um, if I don't talk to, uh, anybody at WWE or AEW ever again, m the likelihood is I can still do my job, right? Mm -hmm. The like, I mean, the likelihood is like nothing will change for me personally. I'm only using me as an example. So in that sense, I have a lot of, I don't, I shouldn't say a lot. I have leverage with them 
in terms of the ask. So I have never been turned down by WWE for any request of a, of a performer or person. I've not asked for Vince. So let's just be clear. And I think unquestionably they would turn me down if I did. Um, I'm trying to think if I ever asked for Stephanie McMahon. I'm no, I don't think I have. Uh, but every performer I have ever asked them for, it might not have been immediate, but eventually it was there. AEW, I haven't dealt with as much, but when I asked for Tony, I got Tony. Um, there's a couple of people that I put a request in that um, I think I will get around a big show of theirs coming up. So I have no sort of worries about that. So my experience with them has been really, really good. Now, as I sort of said before, um, the, the, for them dealing, this goes back to like Vince in the eighties and, and Bischoff in the nineties. Wrestling has always wanted mainstream acceptance or publicity in some way. And I do think that whether it would be me at the athletic, anybody calling from ESPN, anybody calling from the Washington post, anybody call, you know, just, um, you know, generic use whatever your legacy media type of outlets would be. I think they would get the same exact treatment, if not better. I know for a fact, cause I remember talking to, uh, uh, the WWE's head PR person now, Chris Legentiel, I believe. Uh, if I'm, hopefully I'm not blowing his yes. name. If I am blowing his name, whatever, Chris, you'll have to live with it because I'm sure my last name has been blown as well. Um, no, I like Chris a lot. I know him from uh, his uh, days at DAZN as well. Um, and I remember talking to him and like he, we, we had a conversation about, because um, I'm always interested in this, like where are you trying to place people? And I remember he had told me that right after WrestleMania, the um, winners were going to be on the Today Show. I think that still happened. I, I never actually saw it happen. You guys might know. I think but so, the, yeah. Okay, but the point was, trust me on this, whatever the Today Show wanted, WWE was going to make happen and was mm-hmm. going to give them whatever kind of access that they needed. The performers would know very well that this was important to the company. They would be on there absolute like a game in terms of whatever sort of they should sort of do for the today show. And I think that's one difference between like a places like mine and traditional wrestling places is that we, we, I think get, um, how do I, how do I say it? Where the, the, the balance of power isn't so great on the WWE. It's a little more even. And I think they understand that, to be in the athletic or to be back in the day at sports illustrated gets you a chance to get in front of an audience that doesn't normally sample your product. And that's potentially a very, very valuable audience person. Cause that's somebody who maybe hasn't been there. Then if they stick around, that's how you're building your product. You have to make a presumption at some point that the hardcores are always going to be there. So how do you bring, how do you convert the casuals to hardcores? And that's where I feel like someone like, uh, that's where I feel like the places where I've worked can be valuable. And that's why I think my relationship with the WB has been, I mean, also I feel like, you know, I'm a professional and I'm always honest and upfront with who I'm going to interview. I, I tell them straight out that like, I'm never going to give you bullet points on my, I'm never going to give you my questions. We can address broadly what I might want to talk about, but I'm never going in depth with my questions are. That's just not how, that that's not what happens in my world. They they respect that, I think, and they they know that. Um, and and so yeah, I, it's been a I've appreciated my relationship with them because I I have found both WWE PR 
NAWPR to be professional. And by the way, I found WWPR, who, uh, the PR people who I dealt with five, 10 years ago, which was a different group than the current group now. I would say they were the same as well. Um, I also respect them if I can step away from journalists for a second. Like I just, I think they have had hard jobs working for Vince McMahon. Um, it's probably a little better now under Nick Khan. So I do respect that it's not an easy gig for them when, um, one man in, you have to sort of, you have to please one man in everything. I think that probably was a tricky navigation process for PR people for a long time at that place. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty selective now when, when I do reach out and, and many times you just won't get a response. But one that was very uh, amusing was a few years ago, uh, making the request for Kevin Dunn to, yeah. this was ahead of WrestleMania of yeah. sort of just like producing WrestleMania and kind of going it out from that Has angle. Has he ever done an interview? Well, it, this was just like, let's yeah. just throw it out there. And it was yeah. so ridiculous that the response could not have come back in record time of just pretty much there is absolutely no chance of this happening <laughs> in this interview. But I thought it would be yeah. worth the ask, no less. And I would think that that would be someone certainly up your alley, Richard. Of, I don't think he, I, w- I think he'd say no. To me. I, I probably so. But, but I think I think the no would come. I think the no would come with more deliberation, if I'm going to be honest, than it would for. You, you know, you should, re- you should make fun requests, like request, uh, request their lead lawyer, their lead accountant. I mean, these yeah. will all be no's, but it would be amusing to just make the request and see what Jerry McDivitt has done a few interviews. The funny thing is Jerry McDivitt yeah, yeah, has, has done on the, the odd interview that yeah. I don't think he's as impossible to get as maybe. Yeah. No, I, I actually think Vince would be harder to get than McDivitt personally yes. by a lot. Uh, but yeah, Kevin, I don't see Kevin. I mean, Kevin Dunn is a guy who knows where the bodies are buried. He's not going to do any kind of interview. I don't think. Um, you know, as a public company though, I do think their calculation has to change. Like Nick Khan does more, has to do more interviews than now as a, as the front face of a public company than he would, or, or than he would as a private company. And I do think in some ways, um, being public does get you more, gives you a chance for more, um, access. But, you know, again, like the, He's also very, very effective in that role. Like you never oh, yeah. have to worry about I, you know, I, Khan. I dealt with Khan when he was at CAA, um, and I think he's an incredibly bright guy. Um, you know, I, when I was on uh, Strictly Business with um, Eric Bischoff and uh, John Alba, I, uh, I I'll say the same thing to you guys that I said to them. What one of Nick Khan's true geniuses is his ability to make you believe whether it is true or not that he is really invested in what you have to say. And that is the case for whether you are uh, the head of Comcast or you are a waiter serving him at some uh, Las Vegas grill. Uh, That's a real skill. And he probably learned that in many ways as an agent. Um, The other thing I would say is he is not a guy who comes from like wealth, Per se, he's he's not a silver spoon kid, and I know like you know even had to pay for work his way through college, pay for law school and stuff like that. And I think that again, this is just me playing amateur psychologist. I think that gives him the ability to work a room where there's crazy wealth in it, right? Like the billionaires of the billionaires, but also to be able to talk to talent who may have come from different backgrounds, or just talk to fans who who may have come from different backgrounds. Um, I think he's been incredibly effective in that. You do not survive McMahon family battles as he did without being an incredibly skilled navigator of human beings. 
do you think that that's why he's known to be this great negotiator of TV deals? Because just the relationship building. I mean, I'm not going to. And, and the understanding of the, the industry. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not in the, I haven't been in the room with him. So I'm not declaring him the Connor McDavid of negotiations at this point. Um, he has a good, he's had great products to negotiate, right? So like, um, you know, if he is helping out like, um, a conference, I think, I think I, I want to, if I'm trying to remember, like if he was an advisor to the SEC when they made their, college football deal, whatever. My, my, my larger point is help make that deal. Yeah. yeah, The guy has had great properties. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's much easier to be a great negotiator. If you have a blue chip property, than if I'm negotiating with you, Brandon, and I got a $5,000 jalopy car that I want to sell you versus my Maserati. Like if I have the Maserati, I got a better deal in terms of my hand to try to sell you. I'm a sucker for a $5,000 jalopy though. Oh, Brent, well, you, you're, you're a man of the people. So it's, I'm using a bad example. Um, so I think he's a good negotiator, but I also think he knows that he's got a good property. And here's the deal. When it comes to the WWE and its upcoming media rights, he's in a leverage position with Comcast <laughs> NBC for sure. I mean, Peacock, you guys know this. You guys are far more... Um, deep in this and have much better knowledge than me. But do you think Peacock, what, what is Peacock without the WWE inventory? Premier I think it's a pretty, I mean, that's, that's, that's the a office. flagship property for, for Peacock. I, I would say like, yes, you know, they had the Super Bowl last year, but the Super Bowl is not going to be something that sustains a, a month to month subscription service. Correct. My, like they have premier league and they have some other properties. And if anybody from NBC hears this, like, they can email me and yell at me all they want. Without the WWE, how many millions of people would drop that product? I, I th- th- that they are they are the killer app for Peacock, in my opinion. Right? That's that's the value play. And by the way, an incredible inventory. If you're a wrestling fan, it's incredible. So I think Khan has a big leverage play with them. I think he's in the leverage position, so it makes the negotiation better. Let's use the other existing uh, rights holder, Fox. Well. If Fox is still in the news and live business, which Lachlan Murdoch and everybody else continues to say they are, I'm providing you with a pretty nice piece of property, right? Every Friday for two hours, I'm getting you, you guys know the numbers better than me, 2 million, fair to say on an over 52 week period. What, what is it, Brandon? You know, well, this almost, thing. almost two and a half. Like the last week was, was especially weak, but okay. usually around two, two and a half. Yeah. Okay. So I'm getting you two and a half million people, um, just in terms of audience on linear. That's what I'm getting you alone. There's probably other sort of auxiliary benefits to being in business with the WWE. That's a pretty good leverage hand if Fox doesn't have anything to replace it. Fox does not want to replace that with scripted programming. They've already said they're out of that business. It's expensive. Not to mention the writer's strike. No writers right now either. Yeah. No scripted programming anyway. So if you don't have that, what are you putting on there, Fox? USFL? I mean, you know, you'll put something on, but it's a good property for them. Then you have whether it's another traditional linear company of, you know, of CBS, um, Disney with ABC, that could be valuable programming for them as well. Obviously ESPN plus would love to have WWE programming. I mean, they'll, they'll take anything cause it just makes their product more valuable. And then, you know, Amazon, Apple's of the world, they're always wild cards. Money's not really an issue for them. Would they be interested in doing what Peacock did on their network? So, Khan has a lot of hands to play, 
So in terms of him being a skilled negotiator, I don't doubt that he is, but I think he's got some pretty good. He definitely has leverage with NBC Universal. That's unquestionable. And then I think he's got, and he's got a pretty good hand. I think for either a second or third rights holder partner, depending on how they want to play it. How much do you think where the NBA ends up here? Because everybody's sort of speculating that everybody's interested in the NBA. Obviously, the incumbents, WBD, yep. and ESPN. I yep. mean, it's conceivable that Fox might go after the NBA and NBC. If and those, yeah, could, the NBC could be more likely than Fox. I mean, I, they'll all, yeah. you know, it's. <laughs> I could call up like the NBA and say I'm interested, and all of a sudden I could accurately report that Richard Deitch is interested in the NBA. Like they'll all kick the tires because that's what you're yeah. paid to do. Fox, I think, is a much harder play because the NBA has a lot of inventory, and Fox would have to carve out a night. It doesn't have any NBA um, history. Uh, it's a bigger play. It's a bigger ask for them given what I think the NBA is going to want. Forget about the politics or anything, whether you want to be associated with Fox or not. It's not even really the issue. It's Fox doesn't have a history with the NBA, and would they create the infrastructure to try to do an NBA property? I don't see it. NBC has a long history with the NBA. Um, there's a legacy play there. It also fits their portfolio pretty well. That's more, to me, of a likely scenario. But yes, like there is a finite amount of money that some of these places have. I don't know if Amazon and Apple have finite money. They sort of have infinite money, Google, YouTube as well. But yeah, I think that if you're a con, obviously you got to pay attention to what the NBA, what's going on with the NBA. But right now, the two incumbents for the NBA with Warner Brothers Discovery and Disney are not players in the WWE at this moment, right? So if they... Let's play. I don't know who's going to get the NBA. Obviously, I might, I've written about it. I have my thoughts. But let's say they, to start with, have a piece of it in addition to an Amazon or an Apple. Well, Khan's big players are not part of that um, outlay, right? Fox and, and NBC Universal would still have all its money to still go in on the WWE. So I think they're watching the NBA in terms of who's going to bid. But unless Fox or, um, or, or NBC, which is the more interesting one, really goes big in terms of big dollars. I think they're still in a they're in a good position. The only thing that really I think could be interesting or challenging for WWE or you know or TKO, whatever the new company is, is if NBC really decides to go like all in on the NBA and got like half the package, which is going to cost in the billions, then maybe they're out on the. WWE because I think there that's where there's the money doesn't work but I just don't see I don't see NBC becoming like Warner Brothers Discovery or ESPN when it comes to the NBA I, I think they're going to want part of that contract but I don't think they're going to want like half of it that's, that's does, do you, like does this disintegration of the RSNs does that free up a lot more inventory and does that that make the NBA feel like well we have we have these extra games that we might as well sell to and and that opens up more partners. What it does is what, what the, the explosion, the RSN has done is it, it it's going to make the NBA want to go more national and add more reach. And what that means is they're going to look to more um, over the air kind of places, national places, as opposed to the RSN, the RSN models crumbling. Um, there still has to be some kind of local um, broadcast, right? But I think the exclusivity of a lot of those local games are gone. So you might actually, let's say you're a Warriors fan. Okay. And once upon a time, 
the Warriors Grizzlies game would only air on um uh you know the local station or that local RSN had the rights to that exclusive those exclusive days I think are done you might actually get that game locally with the local announcers but you'll also be able to watch it on ESPN plus you'll also be able to watch it on you know wherever NBC or something like that um I think the NBA after seeing this implosion much like the NFL they're going to try as best they can to go to a national model. They they cannot do what the NFL does because one is eight, 17 games, right? Inventory is such you can do it nationally. The other is 82. But I think you're going to see as much as they can um, try to uh, try to bring in another national rights holder partner to get some reach on those games. I think the NBA, this, this is where everything is. It's just crazy that what's old is new again, you know, when we were younger, all of us, like you got games on over the air television, like major sports games, right? And then everything morphed to cable. You're now going to see things go back to over the air because these networks know that's where the best potential reach is. And you can sell off that stuff as the cable universe with cord cutting continues to, you know, spin down, spin down, spin down. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's end on this. We do have a listener question coming in here from a Jake who wants to ask Richard, how have you seen the mainstream warm up to the UFC in recent years? How would you see their future with uh, Disney and ESPN? And would Warner Brothers Discovery have interest or does the power slap failure tarnish that? So a couple of questions. I'll take the last one. I I mean, you know, nothing should surprise me on earth in 2023, but holy shit, power (laughs) slap was just a disgrace. Like to literally like to viewers everywhere. I, you know, I, I'm not discounting Dana White. He's obviously a very brilliant, genius guy at what he does. But, like, that—that that is just awful. Te- in my opinion, just horrific television. Maybe it doesn't appeal to me, my demo. But, man, like, I don't know how if you're, like, some kind of Warner Brothers Discovery or NBC Universal or Disney, like, how you can put that on. Like, somebody will take it because somebody will take everything. But, man. So, no, the short answer is... And, and after the, the New Year's Eve situation with yeah. Dana and his wife on top of it, like, well, I just thought that was... Well, they still put it on, of course. Listen, you know, always never bet on the morality of television executives. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good rule. Can you throw that, the first part? So that's W, w the answer to WBD is no. I don't see, um, I don't see power slap coming. But in terms of the, yeah, I mean, listen, the, the warm up to the UFC, it's a very good question. Thanks, Jake, is, is all business. ESPN slash Disney saw that they could use the UFC to turbocharge ESPN plus. It became much like Peacock has used the WWE to, um, to get millions of subs for them. This is what ESPN plus did using UFC. So, you know, whatever, I don't even think this is like if you, if Disney management had any kind of issues about UFC, like the sport itself, they clearly were superseded by the business interests, which were like, look at all these young males between the ages of 18 and 40 with discretionary income who are going to buy these fights. Um, and so UFC to me is mainstream. Like I, I, it's not the NFL, but 
you know, you see it written about on websites all over the place. You see it written about in, in newspapers. Um, I look at it as like, as, as mainstream a content play as like the smaller niche sports, you know, whether that be, um, uh, women's college softball or, uh, lacrosse or whatever now UFC can be obviously bigger than those depending on the event in terms of people watching it but um I don't see any way that Disney's gonna not continue with the UFC heading forward I I just think it's it's such an important part of their ESPN plus programming model and then the real interesting thing and I don't honestly know the answer to this is like what is the merger if that's the right word or the, 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 the 5149, what does that mean for UFC? Like with this new business model, they have their own media rights deal coming up. I think it's a year after WWE. Yeah. Um, so they obviously have to think about what they want to do. And obviously Endeavor is going to want a media rights increase. Nobody, nobody, nobody goes in looking for a reduction. Um, but you know, they have a strong hand because they can point to viewership. They can point to what they've done for ESPN plus and how they've grown that. Um, they can point to their market cap in terms of how much more valuable that company is today than it was, you know, five, six years ago. And they, they have one thing in terms of the sporting model, like the best fight the best, right? I'm not the biggest UFC fan, but even I can understand that. Like that, that's, that's what killed boxing in many ways is you just never got to see the number one ranked person fight the champ or the number two ranked person fight number three. And UFC has, has, um, has figured that out. I do think too. There's um, they 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 figured out the formula to um, to get men under the age of thirty five to pay for their product, whether it's appealing to their base testosterone levels or whatever. But they unlocked it. Like that's that's their audience. It's a big discretionary income audience, and that's a business right there. Um, so to answer your question, Jake, I think the relationship between the traditional legacy sports brands and UFC continues. Um, and uh, I haven't studied it enough, but it would not surprise me if like UFC got another major player to go in with them and, you know, in addition to Disney. Yeah, Nick had said after the, after the merger that uh, the, the TV deals, the linear deals probably not be dealt together, but there's a chance well, that the, the, the streaming deals could be dealt together because yeah, the yeah, Peacock it, deal yeah. kind of aligns with that. That's how you make more money. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would absolutely negotiate those separately because you don't want to, they're just different products, different audience, potentially different companies would buy them. The streaming one's interesting though, because that, that's where the back end tech, you could probably, you might be able to make it work, you know, as a streaming product for both. I mean, again, I'm just spitballing here, but, uh, you know, it wouldn't be inconceivable to have the WWE slash UFC network like as a streaming product and like somebody bids on that combined service. I'm not saying that'll happen, but like philosophically, you can understand that as a potential like massively uh, big property for someone to bite on, especially a streaming service that's like looking to get three, four million new subs. And wrestling fans are terrified that WWE could go back to a pay-per-view model. Uh, I mean, I the reaction I got from people. Never say never, but I, you know, there is the element of like you don't want to give a big fu to your fan base, right? That's I. Nick Khan's a lot smarter than me. I would not do that. I think that's 
I can tell you as someone who works in a business where it is a slog every day to try to convince people to spend $60 to, to read your prestige sports writing site. Like you got to try to get everybody in um, as much as you can. And it's hard to get any kind of subscriber. I, I'd be careful about having a price point that most fans are used to. And then all of a sudden, boom, let's flip back to the paper. Model. 60 to 10 to five. Yeah. Like I, I think that would be a terrible business decision, but um, you know, those guys will run the math um, and I'm, I'm sure they will figure out what is uh, what's best for them. But it's, it, it's, Again, it's as someone who's lo- who's really you know been very passionate about wrestling and and loved sort of the the behind the scenes stuff not not even the business stuff just per se but just like the sort of the how performers can go between real life and not um, it's it's interesting and cool for me to see that like big places are now talking about like the WWE media rights in the same discussion points that they will the NBA and the college football players. Well, Richard, we've gone an hour here. You've been exceptionally generous with with your time. Um, fascinating discussion. Uh, would love to have you back sometime. But uh, people can go uh, seek out all of your fine work at The Athletic and the Sports Media Podcast. If you've enjoyed this last hour, uh, it's a must to add on your podcast app of choice uh, with uh, the aggregators having it on, on favorite, uh, for, for sure. Uh, a must listen. <laughs> well, I, to. I will say before I get out of here, I, I respect and appreciate what you guys do. Um, and, uh, you know, Brandon – you should really feel good. Like I have seen multiple places now take your work and use the ratings that you provide as a discussion point for their content. So, you you know, when your work is then being aggregated as a big content play for others, you should feel good about that, man. It means you're on to something that people are interested in. Thank you. So I'm I'm doing the Google news vanity search regularly. So yeah, we all do that. You know, just, just, just how are they PR people, man, reputation (laughs) management. It's very important. Yes. Will you be watching uh, tonight, the Toronto Maple Leafs or the CNN town hall or dynamite? Both, uh, (laughs) it's going to be grim news probably on both. Yeah. yeah. Um, which will disappoint me more. Um, yeah, I'll be flipping between both. Uh, I, I absolutely will watch the Maple Leafs. Just, I, I am really rooting for them to win because, like, it's already just a whole doom and gloom news cycle that they've they're down zero three. So a win at least, I think, would provide some of the hardcores at least a little bit of a moment. As for the uh, the Trump Town Hall, um, not that you guys are a political show, I think CNN is in an impossible position, and uh, and I think. You, you will see the impossible position realized during that show. That's, that's, that, that would be as lost all for it. Again, as a, you know, there's a, somebody very smart once said, the answer to all your questions is money for television executives. The answer to all your questions is viewership. Same thing. This man, he's got all the answers, and hopefully we asked the right questions today. So, Richard, uh, thanks so much for, for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure to finally get to uh, speak with you, and uh, very much appreciate the kind words throughout the You interview. got it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thanks it. a lot, Richard. All right. That was Richard Deitch uh, joining us. I love that. That was a great discussion. Yeah, it was excellent. We covered a lot. Um, uh, we, we were running low on time, but I did want to get to um, some of the other news items, and we do have a super chat here that we didn't get to during the interview, but uh, Brandon's going to let us know. What's going to happen to Raw in five years, Brandon, uh, with with cord cutting after this next deal? Like, let's theorize that it's a five year deal that Raw gets. Um, would it be wise to leave cable in five years? 
where, where are where are cable subs in five let's, years? Let's from imagine. Now? Okay, we, we do. We have to do a lot of hypothesizing here. So, if you say that USA Network is currently in seventy three, seventy four million homes, let's say in five years that that number is fifty eight million homes. Right. Um, how many in homes? five years? How many? I guess I six guess. years when this deal is, is up. But yeah, anyway, let's let's go with the fifty eight million dollar or fifty eight million homes number. At that point, um, is maybe even leaving cable, and you would think, what well, does that mean? Streaming could that mean a broadcast option for Raw? Does broadcast right. strengthen over these next years? It's still hard to imagine. You know, we've been thinking over whether SmackDown might be a real player for Amazon. And my, as time has gone on here, I've gotten softer on the idea that that Prime Video is, is a real potential home. I mean, I'm sure they're going to bid and explore it and, and all that. But if I'm WWE, I'm, I'm nervous about going to Prime Video because I'm not sure how many people are really going to watch it on Prime Video over the, over the next five years. Just because, yes, many people have Prime Video in their homes because so many people, I think like, like 80 million people, it's close to, to the, you know, the cable home account a lot of people have prime video but how many, how much time are people spending in that app and that ecosystem i think it's a lot lower obviously if you're the nfl you can attract a, a, a decent audience that kind of dwindled over the, over the last nfl season but i'm just not sure how streaming is going to come together as this place for discoverability and reach and and, and live viewership yet but you're asking about five years from now i guess it just depends on how far if we're thinking like 50 million homes are left, wherever wherever the biggest audiences can be aggregated live. I mean, if, if we're at the point where an NFL game on a streaming platform can equate what a, or surpass what, what a cable or a broadcast live audience can 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 be, then then I think we're in in that in that realm of possibility. But it still feels like we're a far way away from that. And then I would not be surprised if, you know, if linear TV, live TV for, for news and sports sort of evolves in, in some, some hybrid internet slash traditional system, sort of like the, the VMVPDs function now, which is things like Sling TV and, and YouTube TV. Have your thoughts um, gone at all towards in this, this next deal of programming on NBC? For SmackDown, oh, like like NBC Broadcast Network, NBC Broadcast. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I I I, I see how it could be conceivable because they're on Fox. SmackDown is on Fox, but I think I think the brand and the the strategy of NBC is probably not does not include wrestling, but USA Network certainly does. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the news that is coming out today. Obviously. There, there's quite a bit out there, so we are going to uh, reel it all in. And, of course, lots of discussion today about the potential uh, new deal involving WBD and AEW. And just before we went live, uh, Dave Meltzer reporting that a new TV rights deal between AEW and Warner Brothers Discovery will be announced as part of the latter's upfront presentation next Wednesday in New York City. Dave Meltzer said that both the deal and the much-discussed AEW collision show will be announced on the May 17th event at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. So um, not attaching any any value or term to the deal, but that it is imminent and it would be announced um, a week from now, um, which would be obviously um, the dollar figure is going to be of, of most interest uh, to, to everybody. But this does correlate to all of these changes that we have seen of Warner Brothers Discovery 
bringing in all of AEW's programming in-house and the launch of this collision show that would be wrapped into this deal. Well, this is, this is the big moment. This is if AEW gets a good upgrade, then this makes the business viable. I think to this point, very unlikely that AEW has been profitable with the exception of the time during the pandemic when expenses were probably relatively low when they were running at Daly's place and, and, and doing, you know, multiple uh, shows in one session and all that. They were saving a lot on, on expense. But now since they've been t- touring again, I'm sure they're, they're racking up at least a half a million dollars in production expense, something like that per week, um, which is with all their other expenses is probably exceeding whatever they're making in revenue. Um, so if they get a, a good upgrade, I don't know how good, but if they get a good upgrade, then, then this makes AEW viable and, and, and self, self-sustainable. Um, we're expecting on, on Wednesday as a prediction, AEW collision will be made official. That's what I expect. I'd be surprised if that's not the case. Um, probably a two hour show, probably not a one hour show. So that would mean. Okay. Yes, we know that dark and dark elevation are going away, and that that takes something off the plate for the dynamite taping. But dynamite still got to take dynamite and rampage. So if this is a two-hour show in collision, that sounds like an additional night of touring every week, which is something in the neighborhood of a half a million dollars extra in expense per week. You're not putting that big of an expense on onto AEW without AEW agreeing to get paid more money for it. Um, also so, very tough on your production and, you know, if there are, if, if this is as expected that, you know, soft launch, whatever you want, like some talent that will be doubling on those shows, but production for sure that, you know, you go from a Wednesday, Saturday, it's, it's not as though this is the old raw Monday night, Tuesday, SmackDown, right. where it's just go to the next, next town night. the next night. You do have those in between dates. Like it's logistically, it's, it's, it's a big change to how AEW produces its television. So I have to think that it means that the addition of collision will mean more money in the immediate term for AEW. And it raises the question, which is consistent with, with the report from, from Dave this afternoon, that perhaps there, this means that there is a new deal in place. Um, I've been doing math even, be, even before this, this story started to go around uh, this, this morning, this afternoon. No. About how, yes, I've been doing the math about how much, if you're adding on collision, and if you think collision, so this is my sort of estimate, how much could collision do on a Saturday? We don't know the time slot, but we all think it's a Saturday, maybe eight, maybe six, like WCW Saturday night. In any case, I think it's within a, a realistic estimate to say maybe you can do in the demo a, a 0.15. So if I can, if you want to th- throw that slide up on the screen, John, I'll try to talk through some math very briefly and in, in, in an intelligible way as possible. So basically, if, if we look at what these shows, what the big wrestling shows do in terms of the demo um, and, and compared to each other. So, you know, Dynamite this year to date is doing about a 0.29 in the demo for a P18 of 49 rating. I'm going to focus on the demo here. So 0.29 is what Dynamite's doing. 0.13 is what Rampage is doing. Again, this is year to date. This is not including the glory days of, of Dynamite in, in uh, 2021. So, and if you, what, what, what TV value is really about is not just about what rating you can average, but about how many hours in addition to that you're delivering. So if you calculate this out into something called viewer hours, so basically it's like your average rating times the number of hours that you're delivering. And in this case, I'm, I'm showing it by the year. Um, we get to about 49 million, 18 to 49 
annual viewer hours, which is a lot less than, than either Raw or SmackDown are delivering, right? That gets to 49 million and, and SmackDown's delivering like 82 million. Raw is delivering like 112 million. So Raw and SmackDown, this is driven by their viewership as well as the number of hours that they deliver. Raw and SmackDown are much more valuable properties. In addition to that, we can think about how WWE probably gets paid at a premium too, just because they're a much more established brand. Um, so, but then if we add in the notion that there's going to be this AEW collision show, that's going to be a two hour show. And if you, you know, if you think this is a reasonable assumption that I think it's going to average, let's say one point uh, one five in the demo, um, that adds on a lot of value for, for AEW. And I can get the annual viewer hours up to 70 million. It's still not quite what, what SmackDown is even, uh, but it's, but it's more. And uh, as we know, the average annual value of AEW programming is about $44 million per year for SmackDown. It's $205 million per year for Raw. It's $265 million per year. But um, you can do, do some more math here, which, which, which I, I won't go over in, in too much strenuous detail in audio. But basically, if you sort of level up AEW's value uh, per viewer hour up to what AEW's or what up to what WWE's current value is, I can get to a situation where it, it sounds realistic that AEW could be getting an upgrade of $215 million average annual value. If you think that's a five-year deal, that can get to a billion dollars uh, over five years. So that would be $215 uh, divided by $44 million. That's something like a 5x increase. So if you remember, if people remember, about a year ago, I did a, a podcast where we went through a bunch of slides and I compared uh, similar numbers compared to WWE and, and the NHL. What the NHL was getting sort of per viewer, um, and we made the argument that uh, caused a lot of a lot of existential AEW feelings. I, I predicted that it could be three x to five x. Um, and if you consider that was in a year ago, there was a stronger macroeconomics environment. I would say a stronger media environment. I think this was even before Netflix subscribers flattened out and, and that sort of uh, discomfort in the market. And a year ago, CM Punk had not, you know, lost his mind at a, at a press conference yet. Uh, AEW was stronger. So I did all that math with probably stronger ratings at that time for AEW. But if you consider that, that was just Dynamite and Rampage. Now, if you stack a new show, Collision, on top of it, um, I think that could... That could conceivably get to a 5x increase, not just because of AW being way less monetized than WWE, but because you're adding a lot more content here too. And the big, another big thing that we might learn on Wednesday next week is perhaps there's some sort of AW connection related to WBD streaming service Max. Maybe All In will, will air live on Max. That's what we all speculate about. And maybe there's even some sort of library deal there too. So, you know, is, is it reasonable that AEW could be getting a 5X upgrade here? I think so. I think it is realistic to the, the math tells me that this is, this is realistic, that it could be a 5X increase. Um, and if that is the case, I mean, that is to me as, as much of a home run as you could categorize these negotiations. And I think over the last year, um, that certainly it was always the thought of is does AEW fall into that, that vaunted middle 
that Nikon has outlined? Are the, the middle going to get squeezed out? Where would AEW fit in? And in the grand scheme of things, like even if we're throwing those, like uh, going with, with Brandon's math, it's still not the, like, it's not a wild figure that AEW was just so underpriced during this, this last contract cycle that it's, it, it, but it's a game changer for them. If, if you're going with the, the idea of a five X increase. Yeah. And, and I do all this math based on W's current value. So W is probably going to get, you know, we think 1.5 X, maybe two X John O'Ran thinks two X, you know? Um, so W will still be way more monetized. You could say than AEW would, um, just, just for, for, for people who may be skeptical that AEW could ever be as valuable as WWE. WWE will probably get a strong upgrade and, and will still greatly exceed not only in absolute dollars, but in the rate that they're getting per viewer that they deliver. Um, so yeah. I mean, if you look at, look, look at the ratings of, of sports broadly. I mean, the NHL is not delivering what AEW is, I don't think, um, in, in the, in the demo now. NHL may, may be more valuable in other ways, including ad rates, and maybe maybe they contribute to carriage fees in a way that AEW does not. Um, but it'll be a sad day, by the way, for Rogers tomorrow if the Leafs are in fact out of the playoffs. There will be they'll, they'll be in big trouble. They should yeah. uh, they should see if they can influence this game somehow. Yeah, just just seeing these NHL playoff numbers in Canada, like it it is insane how big they are. It, it, this is for like non Toronto Maple Leafs games uh, as well. Like it's just a juggernaut, and you've got the Leafs and the Oilers in in the playoffs as we speak. So yeah, that is a monstrous deal that Rogers has uh, attached to the NHL. But that is a that is a sidebar. And when I say NHL, I mean not the, the playoffs are doing right really well, even in the U.S. Right, but the regular season NHL games, I, I don't think no what anywhere really near what what dynamite is able to do do you look at saturday night for aew first of all do you have um a thought on one time one start time being stronger than the other and the saturday night somewhat mitigate expectations given what they will be up against on most saturdays like do you look at it as is there a silver lining to saturday night versus you know a lot of the arguments that have been out there over why saturday is is not a great night i'm, I'm sure there's just like a a basic math answer to this that I, I should look in, look at what the, at the showbiz daily numbers, but people who have access to the actual, all the Nielsen data can just look and say, when is viewership higher on Saturday at six or at eight? And certainly right. WBD has access to that information. Um, and whatever the answer is, is, is where you put it. I would think, especially when you have to consider there's going to be some WPLEs that you're going to be going against at eight o'clock on once Saturday. a month. Yeah. And what do you do on those nights? I like it's really it's it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it's like once a month you have a Clash of the Champions against WrestleMania four, where it's not so much you're paying thirty dollars, but if you stack up like these cards on that Saturday and trying to you know train your audience that you're going to uh, peak these shows, I mean, I, I don't see those being Saturdays that they're just throwing the towel in. I think they're going to be very aggressive, knowing they're going against such a key competitor once a month. So and I think that's something you have to factor in. So if, if six o'clock and eight o'clock are pretty comparable, then I think you go with six o'clock mm-hmm. because you're going to have wrestling head at a competition once a month or something. It's going to be battleground every, uh, every Saturday night. Head to head. We think we do the quarter hours, but those are streaming. We'd have to get the, uh, what, what would have higher viewership? I think, I think a WPLE on Peacock in the United States would have higher viewership than, uh, you know, than, than a, an AEW show going head to head. With AWP, certainly the bigger ones. It's like we had what the figure was 1.5 million for the Royal Rumble, something like that. Yeah, uh, that was around the number. 
So, I mean, it would be, you know, if you're going for like a rank and file, uh, like for, for instance, this past weekend, uh, like your backlash event, like I wouldn't imagine it was too far under that number. It's not going to do a Royal Rumble number, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it comes at a time that they have made these monthly events feel like every show this year, like that elimination chamber in February, backlash, like they have done a really good job of not just, well, it's every four weeks. It's time to do a pay per view. They have tried to make these feel like, big big shows and 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 separate them in the, in the, in that sense to make them feel big yeah i mean the, i thought backlash was a really strong show but you know all these international peelies they've been doing um and i think collision looking at the ratings to the extent that i can look at them with the showbiz daily data it looked like maybe when i looked at this like a month ago that tbs was a little bit stronger on saturdays so that that told me that maybe this means it's on TNT because TNT could probably use the help a little bit more. We also had, and I'm sure we will be discussing this pretty heavily uh, next week, and we will be doing a show next week after the upfronts and whatever announcements are made. But, uh, Brandon, this coming in, Ari Emanuel was on CNBC's Squawk on the Street today, and we yes. do have a, a recap from uh, the Observer site here. So Ari Emanuel was asked if he plans on letting WWE, quote, do what they want to do, end quote, and Ari's answer, exactly. And we do what we do as it relates to saving some cost, driving some revenue with sponsorship, international sales, like we did at UFC. We're going to do 2.0 at WWE. W2.0. W2.0. Yeah. Does does Ari Emanuel know about NXT 2.0 and how that went? Or WWE Network 2.0. Remember that? (laughs) No, I mean, that, that never happened though, right? That would have been the It never tier. happened. It was called WWE 2.0 by yeah. Barrios and Wilson, and they stated, we know that's a bad name. Don't get attached <laughs> to the 2.0 name. But that was what yes. they were labeling it when they were looking at the tiered system that never came to be. And then um, he was also asked uh, another question about the, uh, the merger. Right now, we're focused on saving some cost, doing sponsorship, which they didn't have. It's the same formula we used at UFC. WWE's rights are open now. UFCs are up in a year and a half from now. I think they are on separate timeframes. Uh, that being asked, I, I guess, about you know um, the expiration of those upcoming TV deals. But uh, in both answers, mentioning uh, saving costs. So yes. I mean, they are going to be laying people off. That's what they're concentrating on now. Just work out who they need and you know, what kind of teams they need to keep, I guess. Um, I, th- there's a, a question to me about how how involved or if, if they'll be involved at all, Endeavor will be with WWE's TV rights negotiation. I'm guessing not just because they're not merged yet. They're not going to be merged until later in the year. So I'm thinking that this is just going to be WWE. I mean, that's a bad thing necessarily, but, but WWE is going to be making these deals, you know, with itself without uh, Endeavor involved. It would seem like, you know, Nick Khan and, and maybe even Vince McMahon being the people in these meetings and bringing this to the finish line. Like I, I, I can't imagine like an Ari Emanuel's really uh, until it's closed, really not getting into this, nor would I think that he is needed for this at, at this point, unless you are really dragging this out, which it's not going to drag out till the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, streaming deals might be a different story once they are actually merged uh, before those are up in 2026. Last thing before we wrap up, I wanted to get some of uh, your thoughts on uh, the story that y- you noted on the uh, the new uh, news updates that we're getting at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. And that is a bill that has been introduced in the state of New York by State Senator Timothy Kennedy regarding the regulation of professional wrestling. And New York is one of the states that does regulate pro wrestling and snatched 
the dream of Nick Wayne to compete at the Hammerstein Ballroom last year out of his hands oh, because right. of his age. So that is uh, the impact that New York has had in in the most recent future that people might remember. And I think they stopped an intergender match in, in uh, like a SummerSlam weekend of several years ago too. Yes, memorably. So- why don't you just recap? What What is this bill uh, outlining? What is it uh, looking to do? This is in the very early stages that yeah. this has been. It's not looking to do much, but it's looking to uh, do a review of the state's regulation of pro wrestling. Um, this uh, uh, State Senator Tim Kennedy is from Buffalo. He, he is not my representative where I live, but almost. Um, and it's. I don't know what to, what to read from it. I mean, I, I know that there have been, uh, there's at least one person I'm aware of who's, you know, gone to their local representative who is a promoter and, and tried to, you know, talk about how we can make some changes here. Um, I guess just to, to, to set it up, there's New York is one of the most heavily, heavily regulated states when it comes to pro wrestling. Um, I wrestled as an independent wrestler, probably most of the matches I had were in New York state. Um, and I worked, you know, closely with, with promoters. So I, 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 I haven't uh, been around shows really closely and for like a year or so, but I, you know, my understanding is that it costs well over a thousand dollars to get a show started as an independent show. So you're, you have to pay combative insurance, which is several hundred dollars per show. You have to have a license. You have to have a bond. You have to, um, have a, have a doctor there. You have to have an ambulance. So all these things, basically all the things that I just went each cost several hundred dollars. Um, and some of them are per show expenses. So for an independent promoter to run a show that does not lose money, you've, you've got to draw a couple hundred people or have, you know, at least a few more sources of revenue. So, you know, in my view, it's been for the, the entire time that I was a wrestler, uh, it, it was a real hindrance in terms of being able to run more shows and a hindrance in terms of wrestlers being able to develop as wrestlers. Um, there's there's some safety things that are good. It's good to have a doctor there. It's good to have an ambulance there if, if something happens. Um, but it's it's a really high expense. And the, the combative insurance in particular, uh, I've rarely ever heard of anybody coming close to, to using it. Um, and it's it's a huge expense that I I don't know that any other state or if there are other states that do something similar. It's very very few. Um, so it would be a great relief, I think, to to wrestling promoters. It'd be a good thing for the wrestling scene in general. Um, I guess. Other questions is, would this benefit WWE or AEW? Would they be, you know, would they push for this as well? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I think there is a tax on ticket sales that they, maybe they could work on reducing. But the big thing for independent promoters is, is the, the expenses that are inflicted on them. So this is just a, a bill that has not been voted on yet. Uh, that if They're, they're going to present their findings in November. Um, so if it I mean, is approved, they have to submit a, a, a report by November. They say that they'll, they'll talk to people who are stakeholders, presumably people involved in the wrestling business and whatnot. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what comes of it, if anything. Yeah. And it's a subject for next year as well, because with WrestleMania in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, my understanding, it's promoters that require a license in the state. Yeah. Not per, per, performers. Pennsylvania but, is much more reasonable. It's <laughs> you have to be a licensed promoter. Um, you might need a bond or something like that, but it's it's much more manageable. Is which is why you know there's one promotion that I worked for that would that would run every month, and I wrestled a ton for them. And it was just like it was in Erie, Pennsylvania, and uh, you know it was just they were able to run a lot more because the expenses were so much lower. Yeah, Ontario went through that, and then it was yes. deregulated in 2006. Completely. Yeah, thanks to Lufisto. Lufisto, who's got a book coming out. She would be someone, uh, definitely that we, we spreadsheet 
For sure. Uh, Lopisto. Actually, I added a Senator Tim Kennedy to the spreadsheet today. So I'm just, every name that comes to mind, it's going in there. Let's end without. I'll call it my local uh, state senator. We'll see if he'll he'll talk to us. Last question here is from Nicholas. I apologize. I missed this. But how much do Raw, SmackDown, and NXT make a year now? Okay, Brandon just went over this. How much do you think it increases? (laughs) Also, I see SmackDown moving to NBC. Okay, there's a lot there. But as Brandon uh, mentioned, uh, Raw... Well, we know the average annual value of 265 million for Raw, 205 for SmackDown, and NXT is just the white whale of locking down uh, an exact value. NXT, uh, NXT is worth mentioning. You know, we, I when when NXT first made the move to USA, there were what I would consider speculations that it was 50 million dollars a year. I think it's well under that. I don't know what it is. If I had to guess, something around 15 million dollars a year, something like that, could be wrong. Anyway, it's going to expire in September. Be interesting to see if. At the NBCU upfront on Monday, if we learn anything about NXT being renewed, because they, they've got to be renewed. Maybe they'll just get renewed in, in conjunction with Raw getting renewed or something, but it's going to expire in September if they don't extend it or renew it. All right. We have gone uh, lengthy today, but we hope everyone uh, enjoyed this show and the format that we have been doing here. A big thank you to Richard Deitch for joining us. So next week, uh, we will be back with a show and we will be focusing on the upfronts because uh, NBCU and Fox have their upfronts in New York on Monday. And then I would say the big one is Warner Brothers Discovery on Wednesday, especially uh, if it's in concert with uh, this expected announcement of a of a deal with wbd and AEW. so we will have you covered next week and we will be uh we will be putting out the bat signal for uh, a potential guest or two as well next week uh but brandon where can people go to find out what's happened to dynamite as tonight they go up against uh donald trump in the u.s and the maple leafs in canada Expect Dynamite to get crushed tonight in the ratings as it goes against the Warriors and Lakers. I think that's probably the late game. In any case, they're going against another NBA playoff game. And Donald Trump on CNN. Um, I don't know that the Leafs game is going to be a huge deal in the U.S., but um, yeah, I expect I expect uh, Dynamite to, to maybe be uh, facing a milestone low when we find out the rating uh, tomorrow. Uh, you can go to Is, is this going to ruin the deal, Brandon? Is this is it, are they going to get buyer's remorse? Is this um, is this is tonight's number going to read, crack? The read foundation? the replies to tomorrow's tweet, t- tweet to find out. Um, but you can go to patreoncom slash to get my TV ratings reports. I've been writing news reports uh, at the top of those TV ratings reports in the last few days. Um, that might continue, and uh, everything else is at WrestleNomics.com. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. All right. I am back tonight with Wei Ting. We will be live here on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel, 10 Eastern, following Dynamite in Detroit with the steel cage match between Kenny Omega and John Moxley. So we will be discussing all the top news stories of the day, taking your feedback. And if you are so inclined, Thursday night, Wei Ting is going to be doing a return of MCU later with Neil Flanagan and WH Park to review Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 featuring Dave Bautista. Number one at the box office this past weekend, $118 million. The franchise that Paul Levesque and Stephanie McMahon, they just weren't so sure of in 2014. And look at it, all these years later, turns out to be uh, quite the hit for Marvel. But that is it for us. Thanks to everyone for joining us uh, live or listening after the fact. That is it for us. For Brandon Thurston, I am John Pollock. Goodbye.